1998, I founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. I did it because I had a few talented friends who needed a place to take their art to the next level. And because I knew there had to be more voices out there waiting to be heard. And because I wanted to go to an open mic where at least two out of three poems didn't suck. My name is Tracy Smith, and this is the Kazoo Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. A question asked in one naked moment. I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the industrial revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. Finding how wonderful we are, we form the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. First thing, a word about last week's show. The very last poem in the slam was Drac doing his Psychic Bowels poem, but that night he did it off the mic, so I didn't get a good recording of it. But I didn't want to leave out Chris's Freudian slip about applauding Drac's balls at the end, so I took a recording of that poem from a different night and spliced it into last week's show. So for those of you who are thinking, I've heard this exact same poem before, you are correct. This week's show is the third round of the semifinals, recorded on April 17, 2001. The feature poet and host is Beth Bulmer, and aside from one conspiracy whack job in the open mic, who I stopped recording after about two and a half minutes, it's a pretty damn good show. I came into the world easy and unscathed, smooth, fresh arms reaching toward the light of possibility as my mother counted fingers and toes. I was an old soul with no memory, blind and bloody, no birthmarks. Over years, I felt the stinging lack of distinction slowly filled the void of my identity, adorned by metallic piercings wrapped in the inky embrace of urban tattoos clothed in the tight weave of self-fashioned scars. Knuckles ground into bricks, splitting my chapped, scaly ego worn like a callus. I peeled back the torn layers of indifference, exposing rosy bonework, eyeing my own mortality just a few thin flaps away. Flat white crack of collarbone against a drunken banister, saving me from a sobering slip. Avoiding reality's stark intrusion, I drifted in drug-hazed delusion, collecting dim shadow box snapshots of who I might have been. Series of serrated scratches keeping score on my forearm freed my focus from the earthly bind of a body fucking for survival from my tendencies toward self-destruction. Wearily drawn to the silver seduction of sawtooth sterling marking time on my skin. I may have eased into this existence, crept so softly into this corner of my life, even I barely noticed my arrival. But I'm going out hard, limbs crawling toward the light of possibility, the past jagged path trailing me like a placenta into the next life, where I will recognize the familiar grooves of my body, fingers examining the coarse, wet braille of my flesh, trying to learn from my mistakes this time, my misshapen figure newly squeezed from this dark, bruised and bent birthmarked. 
that'll get us in a slightly better mood for Charlie, so I don't leave him on that dark note. One full week of cabbage soup, water, and unsweetened fruit juice guaranteed to lose 10 pounds. And she swayed between sneaky jigsaw puzzle handfuls of pretzels and starvation, slicing into guava and watercress her new Californian diet to the stars mailed UPS from her skinny sister. She ate slowly, taking tiny bites, chewing noiselessly, because she wanted to be featherweight practically weightless, to drift like a conversation focusing on her body just long enough to notice imperfections and set about becoming someone smaller, less noticeable, one of a million ripples on the surface of the sea beneath her figure waxing and waning while she missed the full moon of her power eclipsed by her desire for media-bred beauty. She tightened the belt of determination around her waist while her basement grew fat with every lose that ass, thy breast hip break, break, break down a woman machine to pass through the subtle commercial strained subconscious of weeknight TV miniseries meant for housewives. Believing every advertised promise, they collect dusty graveyards of unused Nordic track, thigh master, ab blaster, slim fast, sexy in a can. And they hand the legacy down to the daughters of their insecurities when they've given up on changing themselves. And mom, I'm not saying I won't follow some of your footsteps. I hope I have half the strength of a woman who completes a PhD, births two children, maintains a husband, and works full time. The patience of a woman who waits six years for her husband to die and drives all morning after hospital chest shocks and IVs just to be the first one to tell her daughter he's dead and we're all going to be okay. Mom, I do admire you. But I don't want to float from palm to palm like a dandelion exhaled into the wind of a needy husband's ego. I want to stay where I put myself because I'm going to be heavyweight, going to bear the weight of my own life, stuffed full of sweet things. I want to address myself in a conversation meant only for me, focus on each part of my body so long that I see them swell and stretch with pride. I want to be every ripple on the surface of the sea and the overflowing moon spilling down on me, swimming in every ripple of my female body, nourishing each muscle and bone as if the structure of my life depended on every tendon beneath beneath this skin. And I won't let my daughter grow up terrified of her own growling needs. I won't teach her to take tiny bites. And she will never feel the ache of a body starving for approval, because I will show her her beauty every day. And not in the way I comb her hair or dress her small frame. In the way I wear myself, the way I say my name. I will fill our plates high, raise my tongue to the sky, and tell her every night. We thank the Earth Mother for her round, ripe fruits, her full of fertile, swaying fields of grain. We thank our Mother for all her glorious gifts. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Burgess. Hello. I don't usually uh, put something in front of me, but this is new. 
You got beautiful toes and little threes and twos. So why must you wear those disappointing shoes? You painted your nails in pretty reds and blues. So why must you wear those disappointing shoes? You got beautiful face and beautiful hair and a shapely shape to your derriere. But I lose my joy when I lower my eyes and there's your beautiful feet inside a sad disguise. toes inside a sad disguise you got beautiful feet and little threes and twos so why must you wear those disappointing shoes It didn't screw it up too bad. <laughs> little piece of gray-haired midlife crisis here. It's called Catharsis of the Aardvark. The iron in my blood turns lead in my ass as my give a shit gear strips out from the strain. The gray hair in my balls makes me wonder if everything underneath them is turning gray too. I scrabble along on gray concrete floors, putting gray, great, putting great gray boxes on gray shelves, like an aardvark scrabbling away at the termites of his daily wage, ignoring the chatter and chiding of the monkeys of management, listening for the footfall of, footfall of the leopard of life's end, scratching and scrounging through mound after mound after mound, knowing that at the end of the day, all there really is is a safe burrow in hopes that the leopard is merciful at the end.
I came up and I changed my mind, so I decided to go with the encouraged lunatic. <laughs> I heard on the radio that, ye that we, yes we, are going to kill Timothy McVeigh. This troubled me because, well, let me insert my disclaimer first. It has been said that I have a very active imagination. On this occasion, I was considering whether Mr. McVeigh blew up the federal building. I was shortly after I watched the X-Files movie and swore that the building they blew up on the on the movie looked identical to the federal building. I thought, conspiracy! Then I thought, wow, I'd be locked up for sure. Then I thought, well, how did the movie get before, during, and after shots, if this was the same building, after the building was destroyed? I've never been to Oklahoma, so I don't know. On Wednesday, I went to the library to find out about the X-Files movie. I thought that all I would have to do was hop on the net or the web, whichever you want to choose to call it, they're both very accurate terms, to gain information on the filming of the movie. I spent one and a half hours, but all I could find was merchandise for the movie and the series. I even looked at photos of trading cards and none contained pictures of the building. I decided to search for the photos of the federal building, but all that I could find were after the bomb photos and could not locate a street address. I was attempting to plot the distance from the crime scene to where Mr. McVeigh was arrested, ironically, 90 minutes after the bombing, some 65 plus miles away. He was identified by a John Doe artist sketch which placed him at the scene moments prior to the explosion. The 65 plus miles is measured from the toll booth on Highway 35 North as one would exit the city. This would be the quickest way to Billings, the place where he was arrested. The bomb went off at 9.02 a.m. and he would have had to contend with rush hour traffic. On Sunday, I went back to the computer to find photos and on, on address. All I could locate were commentaries, the chronology, court case, and information on healing of the Oklahoma City. This was after two hours on the web. I wasn't getting very far, so I considered what I could deduce. I had recalled an incident a generation or so ago when there had been problems with the news media manipulating stories in order to support political interest. It made me consider that possibility was happening again. I went as far as pondering the notion that the X-Files used footage for the movie from a routine destruction for the purpose of entertainment by Hollywood and the news used, used footage documentary style in order to make the event appear real and unrehearsed. Could this be a lesson to our generation as to the power and the ability to manipulate information in the media? The problem I have with this, if this is possible, is or was Mr. McVeigh aware of it? He was arrested far enough away from the scene that he, if in fact is innocent, is only aware of the bombing because he was arrested for it. This means that he's been in prison since 1995 because someone told him he blew up a building. Okay, this might be stretching it. It was then that I, I considered the photo of the federal building. I'm no expert on demolitions, but one could argue that the destruction appears to be due to implosion. Based on the photo, a demolition expert might agree that it would be unlikely that a bomb could be parked in front of the building and have caused such extensive and focused damage. Another issue is tearing down the building only 33 days after the incident prevented further in investigation. I assert that this is not ample time to investigate such a serious crime. One could say that, by large, the idea of Mr. McVeigh's guilt had been accepted His lungs stopped breathing, his heart stopped beating, and his mind skipped like a dusty needle stuck in the groove of yesterday, forced to replay the same sound, the same sound, the same sound of a past, blurred by the spreading stain on his mind, eating away the edges of reality until he could see nothing beyond his own thoughts. My father's brain injury was like a six-year acid trip God slipped into his martini one night. 
It was like saying a word over and over and over until the meaning of language gets lost in the sound. He was riding the wave of his rocket moon groove dance, cowboy disco jam, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, go now. He was taking a trip, and there was no room for us on his invisible bullet brain train, no room for us on his private shuttle to Mars. The edges of his finely woven mind, lined with war stories and PhDs, had frayed. The edges of his life's dissertation, where the, our names were meticulously etched in ink, had torn. And we were left behind in the notebook of real time while he swung out on limbs we could never reach. He couldn't teach us the electric Kool-Aid patterns hiding behind his eyes, couldn't decipher the paisley haze overlaying his strange new sight. Because he knew the shape of God now, saw blue lightning branches of trees like the fingers of Jesus reached straight for his heart, plucked like harp strings, the holy harmony echo, echo, echoed in his veins. His children fell like tears from flaming silver eyes and soft wax features. He burned for six years, passed like 65 when he first died crucified in the crisscrossed loss of oxygen, lost in space, his mind like lace, full of blank spaces. His face went blank as a blank page of queens and daughters, his queen of hearts, pure diamonds and spades, digging, digging, digging deep, deep as the deep blue sea. See him, see him singing song, song blue, 15 miles, 15 miles, 15 miles. My father's brain damage was like an acid trip, you know? <laughs> you know. You know, Carol. It was like, it was like 15 miles on the Erie Canal. Go smoke a cigarette. Judges, come meet me up here. Be back in about 10 minutes. Like muscles, abs, pecs, biceps, glutes, triceps, driven to the edge, pushed and pumped, stretched and stringy, never strong enough, tight, throbbing, unnatural bulges in well-oiled vein, popping poses, I want to flex when you bend me. That want to narrow like cement-chipped, bottle-tipped eyes, slice to slits. The bloodshot shoot to kill, don't come too close, won't back down, I don't care. Stare, stifling the starlit stiffness of a deep-set alley, you don't dare stroll alone. I want to peel like callous skin under your dirty nails, scab like raw wounds, wear barbed wire, fish hook and skull tattoos, prison blue with scars stitched through the harsh designs. I want you to call me Roach. Because I'm gonna be scary, like head shaved, cheeks three-day scruff, earring, nose ring, lip ring, tongue ring, dick ring, cellophane packing, cigarette smoking, boy scone, gruff as rough leather with silver spiked shoulders and studded collars, wrist chains and wallet chains. I want to swear at small children, swallow raw eggs, grind my teeth in public, and spit. 
Because I'm going to be hard-assed, hard to get around, hard-hearted in my ink and sterling disguise, mean-looking in ripped jeans, buffed up, shit-stuffed and puffed with attitude. I want all y'all to walk away just shaking your head saying, man, she's tough. Judges, write your scores nice and big on that first page. Hold them up high so I can see them. The other day, I was having coffee at the local Too Trendy Coffee House, just minding my own business when I received a snippy, unsolicited comment from the man behind the counter about my choice of flavored brew, to which I replied, he had only to make the coffee, I was to drink the coffee. At which point he responded, ooh, you're a little sassy, aren't you? <laughs> sassy? Sassy is a Spice Girl that dances better than she sings. Sassy is a magazine I read when I was 12 that had pictures of Johnny Depp and River Phoenix on the cover. Sassy is that girl in your ninth grade English class that wore those black stirrup leggings with everything even after they went out of style. Britney Spears is sassy. I am not sassy. I am black sassy, and I am black sassy like sassy has never been sassy before. Black sassy is calling them when you feel like it and hanging up when you don't. Black sassy is reading I Know Why, The Cage Bird Sings, and Catcher in the Rye for yourself and not because the teacher told you it was required reading. Black sassy is, oh, no, you didn't, as opposed to, oh my god, I can't believe you just did that. Black Sassy is Aunt Mary's fried chicken and Granny's collard greens and having a cousin named Junebug. Black Sassy is being articulate when insulting someone of a lower intellectual level than oneself, such as, you are in serious danger from me of receiving bodily harm because of your seemingly acute case of stupid. Black Sassy is not Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. It is Jackie, it, it is Pam Greer and Jackie Brown, Coffee Brown. Hell, Black Sassy is brown because everybody knows that black is brown anyway, just like chocolate. This is a black poem after all. Black Sassy is to funky as fresh as to dope as cameo is to word up. Black Sassy is in living color and not those really bad mid-1990s episodes of Saturday Night Live. Black Sassy is the ability to roll your eyes whenever the mood strikes you. And Black Sassy is responding to that man on the corner who asked if he could get a piece of that with attitude instead of fear. Black Sassy is knowing all the words to Ice Ice Baby. When deep down inside that LL was thinking of you when he wrote Around the Way Girl. Black Sassy is sporting last year's dress because you know you still look good. If I were in England, they'd call me a black saucy tart, but I'm not. I am in America, and I am good old-fashioned American black sassy. I am not sold in stores. There is no assembly required. You, too, can have your own black sassy. And to the man behind the counter asking me if I'm a little sassy, oh, hell no, I am a whole lot of black sassy, and if that's too much black sassy for you to handle, then you can kiss my big black sass. And I thought 
rabbits fucked a lot. Who is this guy at this party who has every single woman in this place staring at his chest, his arms, and his crotch? Who is this guy? Is he Superman? Can he screw faster than the speeding bullet? Can his x-ray vision always find the G-spot? I mean, what the hell? Is he Sean Connery? Does he have an accent that just makes women twitch and orgasmic seizures when all he says is, Hello, Mish Moneypenny. Is he rich like Bill Gates? Can he buy him the world with the flash of his Visa titanium card? Is he Michael Jordan and can play basketball so well that he retires because there is no one else on the planet that can stay with him? Is he Mike Myers? Is he so funny and charming that women just leap at the chance to hear him say, Yeah, baby! He's a cowboy. He's that guy your mom looks at and thinks about later and just sort of smiles about for no reason. Because he's a man's man. He can ride horses all day long and still have enough energy to give you the night of your life. He's got a pickup truck that he can fix all by himself. He's got fishing poles and hunting rifles he knows how to use to bring home dinner. He's a country boy, 100% American homegrown, loves God and apple pie. He can spit, swear, and fight anybody who needs an ass kicking. But you better believe he never talks back to his mama. He loves the country and thinks that any real man is a good naturalist, thinks city people talk too fast, never really cared for foreign cars, and is willing to give you an opinion on any subject you might be willing to ask him about. But he'd prefer if you just ask him about the latest issue of Field and Stream. See, he's a family man that just doesn't have the family. He's a hard worker because one of these days when he does have a family... He'll be right there to support him. And just like Charlie Daniels, he knows a country boy can survive. But he's not without his artistic side. See, he loves classical music, even if he thinks classical is Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams Sr. He loves poetry, like those limericks in the back of Playboys. Likes long walks on the beaches, if he's walking to the next good fishing hole. See, basically, he's just your all-around good old redneck. But wait, now I think I really see it. Let me tell you what he's not. He's not a drunk, mostly because he knows you can't shoot a gun straight if you're shit-faced. See, he's not ignorant. He thinks ignorance is a sin just like any other. He's not a racist. He judges people on their merit and character and not on the color of their skin. He's not a wife-beater. He'd never hit a woman who would stand up to any man that did. And he's not a coward because he knows in his bones that there are causes that are worth dying for in this world. Okay. Now I got it. He's just a hell of a good guy. And single. John's not. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway, or in this case, a parking lot of a small rural high school nestled between a plastics factory and the rattling skeletons of dead corn plants. It's the 3rd of December, and too damn cold to be anywhere but cozied up inside, but I am looking for adventure, and whatever comes my way, because I have blown my entire first paycheck of my respectable new librarian job on 700 cc's of candy, Scorpio red, gleaming, growling, motorcycle, without having a clue how to ride the thing. <laughs> and I gotta get on it just once before winter starts getting serious and I begin to wonder what the hell I've done and why exactly I'm having a midlife crisis at 30. <laughs> yeah, darling, go and make it happen. Take the world in a love embrace. Or in this case, a guy I fell in love with who owned a Harley I fell in love with. 
And when that fizzled out with the trailing ends of summer and the dust settled onto my new autumnal single status, it dawned on me that there was a sour hole in my life and I was really going to miss third gear and the lingering ringing in my ears and oily smell on leather from a dusty couple of hours tearing up dusky back roads and the look of hooded respect that strangers and out-of-the-way bars hit you with when you settle your helmet on the bar and order a beer. I was hooked. So I figured I could either pine for the bike ride lost or find myself a new one or become one myself, which has landed me in this freezing cold parking lot with 450 pounds of metal thrumming between my thighs that I just can't seem to stop stalling. I brace myself yet again and fire all my guns at once and explode into space and at last I'm off, hitting the dizzying pinnacle of third gear and 30 miles per hour. My coach shouts lost in the giddy roar of the engine and the icy wind whistling past and I'm gone. This is it. The leather-wearing, badass, biker bitch, take no shit, need no man moment that I have been longing for, in which I launch myself without a backward glance over my newly toughened shoulder and all of a sudden the smoke and lightning are gone. The, the heavy metal thunder, gone. And of all things, I am an eight-year-old kid again, pedaling madly around the parking lot of the old mousetrap factory perched at the end of my street that was the boundary of movement allotted me by an overworried mother. I could see my house from where I turned my precarious figure eights, but it was sheer freedom that tangled its fingers in my hair and the lonesome wind and fusion of wiry child's body to wheeled machine, and now, now, for the first time in 22 years, I am racing with the wind. And the feeling that I'm under is the unfettered joy of a child, entirely present in the elation of motion. And I understand what I was born to be. That does it. I'm getting a vagina. I can't say shit about the way I watched you sucking down that cherry cola with a moist spot growing between my velvety thighs. I can't say velvety thighs. If I say velvety thighs, if I make a, if I make a reference to staring hard at your erect nipples, you would, you would hate the ground I walk upon. But if I had a vagina, I could say moist slacks. And the male judges would cream their pants. But if I say moist slacks without the vagina, you people would kick my ass. <laughs> that does it. I'm getting a vagina. Todd Banner will be my greatest fan. He'll invite me to dinner and watch Susan watching me, wishing, hoping, praying that I really do have a vagina. When I get my vagina, I'm going to have a one-hour orgasm at the ribbon-cutting ceremony. And, and I'm not going to mount my vagina between my legs like everybody else does. Hell no. I'm going to have it riveted to my chest so I can watch it quivering beneath my wife Peter tank top. And I won't write any goddamn vagina poetry either. I'll just press it up to the microphone and let it purr. Purr. All eligible suitors will have to crawl on their hands and knees through shredded asbestos and broken beer bottles to approach my vagina, and they will plead like little girly boys. Uh, hello, Mr. Bliss's vagina. How are you doing this fine evening? And they will stammer, oh, Mr. Bliss's vagina, do you come here often? Uh, oh, Mr. Vagina, sir, Vagina Bliss, sir, can I buy a drink for your vagina? And my vagina will roar back at them, piss off, you dirty motherfuckers! While I compare my vagina to every other vagina that walks through the front door. But if I had a vagina, I wouldn't let you people near it. 
I would tease and sway and stroke and pout and shake my ass and bray like a goat that go home, put my vagina back in its box and dream about having something hard and long and silent to dick with. And, uh, and if by some chance of cruel fate I become the National Poet Laureate, I will demand that all vaginas everywhere be sewn shut so that my vagina is the only vagina that can be heard. My vagina will stand for all vaginas everywhere. And when my vaginal tissue is tragically rejected by my testosterone-diseased body dying a horribly, excruciatingly painful, shattering man-like death, large pupil children will bring baskets of flowers to lay at the base of my monument on the mall in Washington, D.C. And George W. Bush will have to rise every morning, scratch his ass in a second-story bay window of the White House, throw his parcheesy dice to see who will be in charge today, then bask in the glory of a 300-foot-high statue bathed in magenta mood lighting commemorating my beautiful, luscious, moaning, glistening, heaving, drowning, pumping, snapping, holy Mary, mother of God-endorsed, goddess of the immaculate grafting of Mr. Bush's vagina. Can we crawl back into our holes now? Yes, damn it, yes, vagina! I was going to read my vagina poem, but... Fear God, love America, buy useless products that soothe you and comfort you. Sit back, relax, take it easy, actualize time and realize money and live for the dreams of the rabble and riffraff. Capitalize, merge and acquire, patronize, consume and appropriate, kick back, relax and stay quiet. Fear God, love America, eat your corn dogs and onion rings and try to stay thin and look fit. Post pictures on the internet, relax, consume, stay humble and abide. Fear God, love America, adjust your variable interest rate, expand your portfolio, roll with the punch rest easy, relax, get stoned on football and big time wrestling, work hard and stay quiet. Fear God, love America, get a lavish sedan and roll through the south side riding on your credit line. You can master the moment and feel the possibilities as you make the minimum monthly installment on the average daily estimate, then rest easy, recline and stay placid. Keep your hands in your pockets and your eyes on the market, watch primetime news and choose the lesser of two afflictions. Fear God, love America, make the Romans proud. Think about mom and that sweet apple pie and believe that Heaven is a white wicker rocking chair on the porch in the backyard, and hell is a trailer park in Wichita Falls. And honestly, believe, if for only one instant, that you were truly free. Make peace with complacency and meditate with a TV on. Use the static as your mantra, your own um Use it as your gateway to the seventh circle of capitalism, this cherry bomb catastrophe of media mythology. Fear God, love America. See beauty in your beer commercial silicone substitutes. Stay calm and subdued with your cathode rays and your lazy boy. You can live through that tube. Try to keep up with the Joneses. Kill some time. You can raise your station by feeding your nation, but trust your intrinsic sense of misgiving. Stay quiet and be thankful. Trust your intrinsic sense of stoicism. Relax. Sit back. Take it easy. Kill some time. In America, that's all you've got. What's up? Sex is creation, devastation, masturbation, procreation. Me and a friend at the bar, they're moving from the front seat to the back seat of the car, not seeing windows steaming. Sex is wet dreaming, women screaming. Who's the slave? Who's the master? 
who was best and was faster. One sex is called a stud, the other is a host. Switch to sex, who will know? Sex is saying, ooh, you taste so sweet. Sex can last all day and all night with Marvin Gaye's greatest hits and his sidekick, Barry White. Sex is scary, sex is fun. Wait a minute, I'm not done. Sex is secret names and secret games. Sex is whips, screams, and chains. Sex is how many faces and how many places with different nationalities and races. Sex is anal, sex is oral, but sex is up to you and your morals. Sex is making fantasies, having wishes on the table, move the dishes on the floor, on the wall. It's 2 a.m., booty call. Sex is instant, sex is candles, holding on to brass bed handles. Sex is frantic, sex is stress. Some get more, some get less. In the tree, in the park, rolling the leaves after dark. Up and down, in and out, moaning, groan, screaming, shout. Sex is playing truth or dare, seeing you in your underwear. <laughs> sex is automatic, photographic. Sex is introspective, selective, and protective. Sex is Prince, sex is Madonna. Sex is saying you need him or you want her. Sex is receiving affection and having protection. But sex is the oldest profession that is paid. However, sex is dying. Sex is AIDS. Let me see it, judges. walking surrounded by the solemn medicine of time. Teaching me patience, it reveals my phobias. Left to unravel the confusion of a minefield mindscape. Left alone with my thoughts of escape, I contemplate the rationale behind revelations. The mystery thickening like my skin, rough with the callous recognition of my lies. Enforcing my insecurity as I try to understand the contentment of comfort. Staying instead of leaving, I seem to have lost my idea of home. When self-destruction is dangerously close. When I'm wearing pastel, but I feel like black leather, a kissing bandit. I've tied myself to the tracks, the imprint of rails on my back, and I think I secretly revel in shades of mediocrity. Let someone else be the next Joni Mitchell. My bed is warm, the day is sad, and the words are not wrong, just never said. Because on this journey, traveling sideways, I close my eyes and reach for the silver-edged tongue, lashing my legs as I walk towards the light, blinding me like Saul turned Paul in the sands of Damascus. I turn away from safety, the virus of stagnation. I need to eliminate the recurring theme of undermining my respect, reflects the image of my own deception, and runs me ragged trying to deny that this is the truth. I'm a spinning top in the middle of a cliff drop with the realization that crashing is inevitable until I learn to fly. And out of scattered remnants of broken self-promises, I will rise and reach for my pen. Allow release to come. Free myself from the cycle, from these chains of disappointing memories of failure cursing me because like a bad trip, it's all in my head. I need to transcend my belief in a quick fix, break through the barriers of my emotions running rampant, carving out the path of most resistance, a chasm left after the glacier melts. I will stand firm on crooked ground. I have transformed the trepidation of potential affliction into dynamic animation.
I will become the butterfly, the wind, my companion. I will drink nectar and spread passion like wildflowers. I will run naked through a sunflower patch at sunrise and giggle uncontrollably at the sight of my pale ass jiggling to the rhythms of nature's primal dance as I strip away the layers of scales I should have shed long ago, the tears I should have left far behind, use like a crutch to cripple my intensity, keep my feet on the ground, my eyes refusing to see. I will rise above my weaknesses and deny my assumption of defeat. I will soar gracefully, land peacefully, and live the dream of a child, knowing that I can be anything I want to when I grow up. Let me see it, let me see it. Do you have regrets? Do, can you remember a single moment in your existence that forever defined you as you are today? An irrevocable action that haunts your nightmares, causing you to whisper over and over, if only I had, if only I had. Would you go back and make amends knowing your whole life would change? I do. And I would, if I could, go back to 13 in the corner behind that middle school and that pimply-faced, greasy-haired ninth grader holding a dangerously smoldering marble red, his harsh whisper, hey, kid, you want to smoke? If I could go back to that one moment in time, I would not nervously shake my head and scamper off to grandma's safe haven. Instead, I would stop, look him right in the eye, and say, okay, I would... Take that cigarette in a nervously shaking hand and inhale just like my dad used to do before he quit. But I didn't. Instead, I ran away and forever after became the nice, safe kid, the one the girls brought home to talk to their parents while they slipped out the back to make out with some hair slick back trapper riding dude named Spike or Slash. And ever since, I've wanted to be that guy. I even got my ear pierced and bought myself a Harley. But I've been laughed out of every biker bar from Detroit to San Antonio. And I know why. It's easy to see. The source of all my misery, from getting picked last to play basketball to standing on the wall at the high school dance, is I never learned to smoke. That's right. Smoking would have changed my life. And don't tell me about the Surgeon General's warnings or about some secret tobacco company conspiracy because I know what every teenager knows. Smoking is cool. Smoking is cool like James Dean in a white t-shirt and, and leather jacket. Smoking is cool like the kids skipping class playing pinball across the street. Smoking is cool like my grandpa. Three packs a day for 65 years, finally falling off his tractor in his cherry orchard. Smoking is cool. And all the non-smoking ads have made smoking even more cool. Smokers on smoke breaks have formed secret societies I want to join. <laughs> the mysteries of the earth are unveiled outside of office buildings and non-smoking cafes. Politicians are called down in very special ways. If everyone started smoking, world peace would break out. The Russians would bump cigarettes from the Chinese. Saddam Hussein would ask Bush for a light. Smoking is cool. At 31, is it too late for me? 
I'm thinking seriously of stepping up to a pack-a-day habit by getting the patch. One, two, three. Smoking is cool, and I don't need Joe Camler. You've come a long way, baby, to tell me. Smoking is cool. I can feel the cilia in the back of my neck dying right now. So say it with me. Smoking is cool. But who would sit on my throne in my absence? We'll find a double and put him on the throne. Ah, oh, a double in case of trouble. But where would you find a handsome dog to replace me? Oh, yes, of course, of course. Betsy, your majesty, you look like the piss boy. And you look like a bucket of shit. <laughs> 